This is Invest Talk. Independent thinking, shared success. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Monday, December 19th, 2022 edition, and we are almost at the point where we're counting down the days left in the year. Christmas Eve is just coming up this Saturday, and we only have, what, four by eight, eight, eight and a half trading days left in the year. Actually, I believe this Friday is a half trading day as well. So there's not a whole lot of time left to make your trades and uh, make the adjustments that you need for 2023. And I know your priorities are probably Christmas right now. That is for me. I know I have a lot of things to do both in office uh, as well as out of the office. Uh, so you're probably the same. You're probably trying to button everything thing up for the, the Christmas holiday as well as the new year. And that also should be a point where you should not forget to plan for next year. To adjust for the changing market dynamics. And that's what I'm here to help you do. To get your portfolio properly balanced for your risk tolerance level, your goals, and the current market condition. So I'm Justin Klein. I'm here ready to answer your finance and investment questions, whether you're listening on radio or podcast after hours or live stream on our website, investtalk.com. Any of those choices are great. And all of them means that you can call and leave your message and we'll answer 24 hours a day, seven days a week at 888 chart Now, my main focus point today concerns the question, should you be looking into wide moat stocks? So I'm going to go over, what does that mean? What is a wide moat? And given the dismal performance of the market, you'd be surprised to learn that some wide moat stocks have still posted double-digit returns this year. So I'll explain what all of that means. Now, time permitted, I want to touch on a few other things. One is on rental properties. Inflation is typically good for real estate prices in general, but there are some caveats to that. And being a landlord in today's inflationary world also brings a bit of challenges as well. So we're going to cover that. Also, the Fed raised rates last week, 50 basis points, and hinted at future rate hikes. But guess what? The market does not believe the Fed. So who's right? And then lastly, how is the SEC working to change the way stocks are traded on our exchanges? Those are things that are on the docket for me. We also have some voice bank questions ready to play. One is on Oak Tree Specialty Lending and Stock Losses. Now, my perspective looks at the historical performance of the S&P 500 index through the U.S. bull and bear markets from 1926 through March of 2017. That comes up at the halfway point of this show. So I've got this all planned for you at 888-99-CHART. That's how you get through and ask your live questions. 
Let's take a look at the market today. The broad US market was down about 1%. You had small caps underperforming down about 1.4%. And growth definitely underperformed. Uh, large cap growth down 1.4%. Large cap value only down 0.4%. So in one single day, it was a whole 1% difference in performance on the growth side versus value when it comes to large cap. Same with small cap. About 2% loss on the small cap growth, 1% loss, small cap value. So definitely a day where value outperformed, just like it has most of the year. Now let's go over to Richard. He's in San Francisco, and he wants to talk about URNM. Hi, Justin. Um, question uh, I've heard on the show, uh, you talk about the, the difficulty going from fossil fuels to the green energy and in a transitional state, nuclear power may be, you know, kind of a, a key thing. And in light of, you know, the discovery, the fission discovery that was made at, uh, I guess, Livermore Labs uh, about a week ago, in terms of a long-term investment, what would you say to the URNM, the uranium ETF, in terms of a long-term investment? Well, I don't think the fission reaction has really anything to do with it. Uh, even the most optimistic projections are that you'll have a working prototype in 20 years. And, you know, will that be at scale? And they're still measuring things. And uh, I, I don't think that's anything to even think about. Um, it's it's great. You invest it in. You, you, you find ways to, to, to bring that down the pipeline uh, if you're a government, for example. But I don't think that's on anyone's investment horizon at this point. So it's pretty much irrelevant. It's, a, it's an interesting story. That, that's about it. Uh, now, if you want to buy URNM because you think nuclear is the path towards a greener future, uh, then I agree with you. Um, and it's a diversified way to get exposure. Now, it is ex an expensive diversified way to get exposure. I will say that. About 85 basis points is the expense ratio, 0.85% per year, which is too high for, for my blood. Uh, I'd rather go and buy, look at the holdings and buy a, a handful of uranium miners and make my own, you know, mix of uh, uh, of exposure to the space. So, you know, it, it's just too expensive for, for, my, for my blood. But I like what you're thinking about. I, I do think uh, uranium exposure is important. I do think over the next 10 years, it's going to have its heyday. You know, is that going to be in 2024 or 2023, 2024, 2025? You know, it's hard to know exactly, but we are in a uranium deficit, meaning we are producing less uranium uh, than we are consuming as a, as, a, as, a, as a world right now. And there's a ton of nuclear plants coming online in China. Uh, and obviously, governments around the world are rethinking shutting down nuclear plants. Even uh, a, a very green state like California, government news, Governor, Governor Newsom extended the life of Diablo Canyon another five years. Uh, because it's about 10% of the state's power, and we'd have big problems if we didn't keep it. So many politicians are seeing this, seeing the writing on the wall, and they're realizing, hey, uranium, everyone talks about the nuclear waste. Nuclear waste isn't the problem. All the nuclear waste that's ever been produced from nuclear plants can fit in the size of an Olympic swimming pool. So it, it, that's not really an issue. Uh, and it, it's just about getting over the stigma. Um, and making sure that the plants are built that, that have proper safety protocols.
Um, and I think we'll eventually get there because you're seeing now what's the alternative? It's just burning more fossil fuels. So uh, long term, I think it's a great place to get exposure to. URNM, not the greatest just because it has high expense ratio. Thanks for the call. Now we're heading into a break. Thank Steve you. and I are happy to play your recorded voice bank questions, but we love taking your live calls as well. And our number never changes and it never closes. Invest talk at 8 at 8 99 chart. In today's world, a variety of factors are affecting the stock markets. Serious investors know building a secure financial future requires hard work and determination. That's why now, more than ever, when it comes to the planning, execution, and maintenance of your portfolio, you need InvestTalk. With total downloads nearing 50 million, each InvestTalk podcast should be one of your key financial planning and educational tools. InvestTalk is a free download, and hosts Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to provide their unbiased guidance and professional analysis developed from real-time data research and years of investing experience. 24-7, rain or shine, during smooth sailing or on rough weather days, the Invest Talk listener line is open and waiting for your questions. You set the agenda. Don't forget to call Invest Talk 888-99-CHART. The holiday season is here. Steve Peasley and Justin Klein are on duty, and they welcome your finance and investment questions. Call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. Carl in Oceanside is calling. He wants to talk about XOP. Yes. Um, two weeks ago, I sold short that ETF XOP and today I bought it back, and then I see X dividend is today, December the 19th. My question is, do I have to pay the dividend? The answer is yes. Whenever you're short a stock or an ETF, and it goes X dividend, if you held it on the through the X dividend date, which you did, you covered it today. You didn't. You'd have. You would have had to cover it on Friday. In order to not pay. Oh, I should have covered on Friday. You should have covered on I Friday. See. Yep, yep. Now, net of the, the, the dividend, though, it was down about two bucks today. So, you know, yeah, mm -hmm. you're paying the dividend, but you probably covered it at a, at a lower price. So, net, net, you're probably uh, in, in better shape anyway. But you will. Oh, yes. Uh, yeah. I, I made it very good, so I better pay the dividend. Okay, yeah. thank you. No problem. And I think it was a good time to, to cover that short as well. Now, when people take the time to leave an Invest Talk podcast review on iTunes, we'd like to thank them for the courtesy of getting to their questions quickly. Uber says, what do you think of MPW and REITs in general for long-term hold, five to 10 years? I do not like MPW. Say that. Medical property trust yields 10%, 10.5%. This is a perfect example. On the webinar last week, we talked about you're getting these high yields. There's a red flag here, and there's a reason this is down 55% from its all-time high, because you have... Uh, I believe that their tenants defaulting. They're having a lot of problems with their tenants. Last quarter, revenue's down 10% year over year. Uh, they, this is not a quality REIT. So I would absolutely pass the medical properties trust. Uh, now, certain types of REITs I do like long-term, especially uh, in the industrial space at the right price, 
uh, parts of the commercial market, not office uh, especially, but parts of the commercial market, parts of the residential market, um, there are REITs, but you have to be very selective and understand the long-term tailwinds or headwinds. I do think long-term industrial type of properties are going to have some nice secular tailwinds because of reshoring and manufacturing and uh, the fact that uh, in, in general, you're, you're going to get less pressure uh, there from uh, demographics and shifts of deglobalization. It can actually be benefit be a benefit to those type of businesses. Whereas office, you know, more people are working from home uh, and the secular trends just don't benefit uh, office space. So REITs are very, very particular in whether they're good or bad. You you could just buy like a, a, a REIT index and you're going to get a lot of good and bad. Um, but I rather do my research. And this is an area that you're going to have to really do your homework on because a lot of REITs, they have a lot of debt. And that could be dire to their business. Others, it could you know, that debt can be used to buy up properties that are um, doing very well and and supercharge their profits and their funds from operation and ultimately their payout to you. So, medical properties is one I don't like at all, but there are certain ones I love long term. But you have to be very very selective and don't chase yield. The ones with high yields, eight ten percent. Those are probably the ones that are red flag and you don't want to be investing. Now let's pivot back to the Best Stock Voice Bank to play a question that came in earlier at 888-99-CHART. Hi guys, love the show. Was wondering if you could take a look at Core Card Corporation for me, please. Ticker CCRD. Been looking for something small that's growing with profit and to where Vanguard and BlackRock doesn't already own 30% of it. And this seems to fit the bill and was wondering if you would give me your opinion of it, please. Thank you. All right. Core Card Corporation. Very small. $238 million market cap. Like, look at what there. Yeah, no debt. No long-term debt. That's a positive. Trading about enterprise value, about eight, eight and a half. That's good. Let's see what they do. In the business of writing technology solutions and processing services to the financial technology and services market, designs, develops, and markets a comprehensive suite of software solutions to program managers, accounts receivable businesses, financial institutions, retailers, etc. Interesting. Okay. But services, the buy now, pay later programs, loyalty programs. I wonder if that is their growth here. I'd have to dig into this. Because the buy whole buy now pay later thing started to pick up 2018 19, and that's when their profits started to pick up. So I would really need to do my research here because it's such a small thing, I've never heard of it. But what brought them from losing money consistently before 2018 to suddenly growing consistently and having consistent profit? Is it the buy now pay later? Is the, uh, which I don't think are, are true businesses, not anything that's going to you know be anything you want to invest in, uh, and a lot of them are go bankrupt during this next cycle, and the trend down here in Core Card is, is a bit worrisome. So I'd really need to do a deeper dive for me to get comfortable with Core Card. The numbers look good, but I don't like that link to pay buy now pay later. If you can uh, solve that problem, then I'd buy it.
Now we're moving fast into our next break. So give me a call at 888 chart One of the most rewarding things I do each weekday is host the Invest Talk podcast. I truly enjoy helping investors. And I know that every question counts and every answer I provide will be unbiased. You, the caller, get to chart the course for each Invest Talk podcast. Call with your questions anytime, day or night, 888 99Chart. Let's go to John in Florida looking at ASO, Academy Sports and Outdoors Incorporated. Do you own it or looking to buy it? Uh, I currently own it, and it's uh, done pretty well for me this year. Um, and thank you guys for, for what you do on the show. Um, I was calling, though, uh, to see what you thought about it, um, and I was considering picking up a little bit more, um, and I was wondering what a good price uh, you guys thought was for it uh, if I was looking to pick up more. My concern was, uh, you know, with the economy slowing down, um, you know, it, it might uh, have some trouble coming here in the next year. Yeah, that would be probably my sentiment here. Uh, it, I would be more in the camp of trimming it or eliminating it completely mm -hmm. more than buying more. Uh, it, it doesn't have okay. a lot of uh, operating history, at least uh, not publicly uh, reported anyway. Uh, and it certainly benefited well from the pandemic. Pre-pandemic, 2019, it was only making 61 cents a share, then $1.12 in 2020, 4 16 in 2021, $7.60 last year, uh, or this year, excuse me, and then $7.49 supposed to make in 2023. So earnings are flattening out, expectations are, but are people really spending money uh, in the same way on their type of product? Now, this is a retailer, a big box retailer, and it sells outdoor clothing, backpacks, sunglasses, luggage, shooting equipment, fishing equipment, boating, water sports equipment, uh, all of that. And certainly the pandemic helped them, um, but the world's opening up and uh, people are spending uh, other things. And I just don't see this level of earnings being sustained. And so I would not be buying more here because uh, I don't have confidence that this is going to be uh, a multi-year trend. So I think they're still very profitable, but if they go get back to anywhere close to the, what they were earning pre-pandemic in the you know less than $1 range, then this is going to go down dramatically. Um, and I think it went IPO at the perfect time uh, back in late 2020. So yeah, I would be trimming this if not eliminating it. I definitely wouldn't be buying more. Thanks for the call. Now my focus point concerns this question. Should you be looking into wide moat stocks? And given the dismal performance of the market, you'd be surprised to learn that some wide moat stocks are actually up double digits this year. And let me go over this because it's very important for you to understand. Remember, buying a stock is ownership in a business. When you buy into, a lot of people lose track of that. You want to be buying companies that you have confidence in their business structure, their business sustainability, and sustainability of their profits and cash flows, especially in today's world. Remember, this is the new market environment. This isn't the 20. Tens where money was free and it was all about the story. It's about short duration assets, assets that can give you 
consistent positive cash flow earnings dividends today. And usually good companies have some sort of economic moat. So use that term like a castle back in the day, right? You had the castle, you had a moat around it, and it was difficult for the enemy to enter your castle. Same thing in the business world. You can have different types of moats that can prevent competitors from taking down your business in some way. Now, the first is switching costs. And this is the time and the effort and the psychological pull of switching to a competitor. And, you know, this is probably the most common form of an economic moat. You think in the medical world, uh, if you have a medical device company, right, and you have surgeons that use a particular uh, medical device, uh, say a pacemaker on a heart, and they're trained uh, how to install this pacemaker. Well, if they move to a different pacemaker, it's probably a little bit different. You're going to get retrained and it's going to be more difficult. Why not just stick with the pacemaker? You know, you've, 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 you've installed many times, you know how it works, you know, you're confident in, in, in its reliability, etc. And so there's a switching cost there. Okay. Same with like a CRM, right? And company, uh, we have a CRM, it's called Redtail. We want to move to a different one. We got to export all that data and, and, you know, disruption of, uh, of the organization, et cetera, lost productivity, time, expense, that's a switching cost, okay? Now, then there's intangible assets uh, like brands, right? Starbucks is a good brand, Coke's a great brand. So it's hard to build those brands. It takes many years, billions of dollars of marketing and consistency uh, for people to trust the brand and how good uh, it's performed for them over the years, okay? Network effects. So this is your uh, your Twitters of the world, your your Facebooks and your your Visa, right? Where they have their their network of uh, installed um, payment platforms throughout the all the retailers throughout the world, online, physical stores, etc. Then there's cost leadership. Who's the lowest cost producer? That could be in the commodity world, right? Who has a mine that they can pull out the product out of the ground at the lowest cost? Maybe it's a, a Walmart, which they can you know source uh, a ton of cheap goods from around the world. Um, Anheuser-Busch, they're the largest brewer, right? So based on scale. Um, and then that's the next one, efficiency of scale. Of maybe you own various parts of the supply chain, you can make the end product at a cheaper cheaper cost. So that's those are main, the five main sources of economic moats. And those are the type of companies that will earn excess profits over time. And that's the ones you wanna focus on owning. Now we're heading into a break. Christmas will be here soon, but for now, I welcome your finance and investment questions. So give Invest Talk a call at 888 99Chart. Let's say you've been thinking about learning a new language. Okay, why? I mean, how would it come in handy? And where would you want to use it? Could it be that you have an upcoming international trip? Or maybe you want to connect with family members or friends from a different culture. I think you should know about Rosetta Stone. With millions of users, it's been the world's most trusted language learning program for 30 years. Rosetta Stone is available on your desktop or as an app with audio companion and the ability to download lessons offline. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. It has a built-in patented speech recognition engine called True Accent. So as you practice speaking, you'll get feedback on how well you pronounce words. With Rosetta Stone, you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, 
then sentences. It's an intuitive process designed for long-term retention. You really learn to speak, listen, and think in your new language. Rosetta Stone is an amazing value, so your special skill set is within easy reach. You know you want to do this, so don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, InvestTalk listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off now at rosettastone.com today. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's Attack Resistance Platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com. Each day, InvestTalk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for InvestTalk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. Now, in the next InvestTalk story behind this headline, one generation of wealthy investors is betting the market will be higher in 2023. Another generation isn't. That story tomorrow. Steve will get to. Now, I've told you often that we get invest talk questions from across America and all around the world. And this next one comes in from a listener in Germany. Hello, Steve and Justin. This is Paulo from Germany. Today, I have a question about O3 Specialty Landing Corporation, ticker symbol OCSL. They have a consistent dividend history, and they even grow their dividends. And the valuation is not bad, but I uh, don't really understand why and how they pay out so much in dividends. They also have a lot of debt. So my question about this company is basically what do you think about it? Like, is it a buy, hold, or sell at this price? Looking forward to hear about it on the show, and thank you in advance. Have a good day. 
All right, so I uh, keep getting a lot of calls on high dividend stocks. And I love dividend stocks, but please stop falling in love with high dividend stocks. I love low dividend stocks. Love them. Two, two and a half, three percent. I know that doesn't sound sexy. But the vast majority of the good investments in the market that are that pay a dividend don't pay high dividends. They don't have high dividend yields. Their dividend yield is modest. That's the first thing I need you to understand. You have to understand this. You keep chasing these high dividend yields, you get burned more often than not. Now, Oak Tree Specialty Lending, it's a specialty finance company. It provides lending services and invests in small and mid-sized businesses. Generally ranges, uh, best, investments generally range from uh, $10 million up to $100 million. And usually first lien, second lien, or senior secured debt instruments. Invest in private equity sponsors, for example. So this is a very high risk type of business. And they do have a bit of debt, but it's, it's kind of okay. But this is basically a high yield leveraged debt instrument. Not something I want to get involved with. As financial conditions are tightening, as interest rates are rising, as these businesses are going to probably continue to struggle. So I don't have any confidence in this business. It hasn't been through a down cycle. Cash from operation is questionable. It continues to see shares outstanding. Yeah, it's been going up over the last decade consistently. So, no, I'm passing on this. That's Oak Tree Specialty Lending, OCSL. Now, my perspective looks at the historical performance of the S&P 500 in U.S. bull and bear markets from 1926 through March of 2017. Now, what is a bull market? Well, it's up 20% from the lowest close reached after the market has fallen 20%. Bear market is when the index closes at least 20% down from its previous high close. So you need a bear market to start a bull market. So from 1926 till 19 or 2017, the average bull market lasted 8.9 years, with a cumulative return of about 468%. The average bear market lasted 1.4 years. That's it, 1.4 years. We're about a year into it. The average cumulative loss, about 41%. Now, what are we now? We were in the, the, the peak in the mid-20s, if I remember correctly, so far. Now, past performance is no guarantee of future results. But roughly speaking, here's a thumbnail summary of bull and bear markets. Now, from... 26 to 29, talking about 1926, 1929, there's a 3.7 year bull market. 
Then we had a 2.8 year bear market, 1829 to 31, the worst bear market. Then we had a 13.9 year bull market. You didn't realize that. Even during the Great Depression, markets were consistently powering higher. And then in 1945, we had a six-month bear market, very quick. And then we had World War II and a 15.1-year bull market. From the late 40s to about 1963, then a quick six-month bear market, and then a 6.4-year bull market into the early 70s. Then we had some small bear markets throughout the 80s, the 70s, into the mid 1980s. And then we had a 20, or sorry, 12.8 year bull market pretty much through the eight, mid to late 80s until the early 90s. And 2009, there was only a 1.3 year bear market. I didn't realize that. Peaked in 2007, bottom 2009. So you can see the pattern, 80 and a half years of bull market and only 10 and a half years of bear market. So it's hard to time the bear market, when it's going to end, when it's going to start. And usually when most people are the most pessimistic, that means we're pretty close to the end. And people are very pessimistic in October, but now less so. Is there room for more pessimism to creep in in the early part of next year? I think that's the potential. But I want to give you that perspective so you understand market history. I think that's where most people lack, especially newer investors. They don't understand economic history. They don't understand market history, both the good and the bad. And too often, they're myopically focused on one or the other. Are right, looking at 08 and looking around every corner for the next 08 and bear market and financial crisis. When in reality, 29 and 08 were anomalies. My girlfriend's a doctor and she always said in, the, in medicine when they're hospital, when you're in the hospital, you see all types of crazy cases as doctors, right? Because that's why they're in the hospital. They have bad cases. In the real world, you see similar symptoms, but they're not always those bad cases, those rare cases. They're usually run-of-the-mill short-term illnesses. So in the hospital, you see unicorns. In the real world, they're mainly horses. But everybody wants to slap on the unicorn times of 08 and 29 and say that's next when those are the unicorns and most markets are simply horses. Now let's touch a bit on rental market, the rental market. And see a lot of people talking on YouTube and social media, and everyone touting how to make millions passively as a landlord. 
And it worked very well for a lot of the time where interest rates were dropping. Inflation was low. And you had prices of the assets go up. And the cost of being a landlord going down. Not only could you refinance and keep your payments lower, but you could buy things cheaply to maintain that property. But now inflation is here and it's starting to impact various aspects of being a renter, or a landlord. So you're likely to see higher costs and unexpected expenses. Now first, you rely on debt for this purchase. And now most lenders are charging investors 10 to 12% annually. No longer you're getting this four or 5% loan. That's first off. Second off, you're going to need a large down payment. And your opportunity cost for that down payment is now larger. Before, you couldn't invest it in much. It was interest rates were zero. Now you can take that cash. You can conservatively earn 5-6% in high-grade corporate bonds, for example. That's, that's the first way to make sure that you're understanding the difference in this environment. And we always say that your yield on the property, your cap rate, should be higher than your cost of debt. That means cap rates need to be in the teens now, where everyone's been used to 5 6%. That means prices of these rent properties need to come down in half for most of them to make them worthwhile. Then there's repairs. And you have supply chain uh, disruptions to get raw materials, appliances, and you have labor shortages. A lot of baby boomers, they worked in your salt-of-the-earth businesses. They're plumbers, electricians, contractors, etc. Millennials, Gen Z, most of them don't want to go into that business. And so there's a dearth of people that are able to provide a lot of those services to maintain properties. And a recent survey of online property management found that 80% of landlords reported increased ownership costs over the last 12 months. And 41% say costs rose more than 10%. And renovations are now a lot more expensive. So people tend to overestimate the upside of owning rentals, potential income, tax breaks, and underestimate the headaches. They don't have contingency plans for vacancies and cost of things like property management. Everyone should budget at least one month of rent to cover vacancies, at least $250 a month for repairs and maintenance. And usually that happens in lump sums. It's not like you're paying $250 a month to maintain it. It's, hey, every three years, you need to buy something, a new roof, new air conditioner, renovation, whatever. Then there's additional costs, taxes, lawn maintenance, utilities, etc. And it's becoming more difficult to be a landlord with the laws. For example, in Seattle, there's a new rule. Landlords must give notice 180 days before raising rent, not 60 days, 
180 days. So investment properties are not passive, not passive income. What's passive is going to buy a bond and yielding 5%. That's passive. So in this new world of inflation, you have to understand the drawbacks of, of that inflation have put on landlords. And it's no longer slam dunk anymore. It's an environment where there's a lot of headwinds and it needs to be, the numbers have to be clear cut and obvious if you're going to buy a rental property or keep a rental property. Now let's pivot back to the Invest Talk Voice Bank for this question that came in earlier at 888-99-CHART. Hi, Alex here from the UK. Um, great job with the show. Thank you very much for the information. A couple of questions. Um, first, with Steve mentioning a peak in the oil prices potentially being behind us, it's now a good time to potentially be reducing my exposure to energy stocks, particularly oil and gas. Um, I have about 15% of my portfolio in a variety of names, bigger names, Chevron, um, Devon, uh, Oxy, etc., and on the back of that, if I am moving away from energy, I'm looking at more of the regional banks, as you guys suggested, and have CMA, Comerica Incorporated. Um, I was just wondering what your opinion on that one was. Uh, the fundamentals look okay. The chart looks horrible. Um, would you see this as a, a good one to look into? Thanks a lot. Bye. Uh, you know. Regional banks were much better earlier in the year when the economy wasn't slowing nearly as dramatically. Um, yeah, I mean, Comerica is definitely one of the better ones. They're located in California, Michigan, Arizona, and Florida. So most in Texas as well. So most of those geographical regions have good economic tailwinds. So I think that's a positive. Uh, but the technicals on this are, are just too poor. So I wouldn't be in a rush to get into it. And I actually think Oil is a good buy here. Uh, I, I think a lot of this is technical uh, in nature. The supply and, and uh, demand dynamics within the oil space remain very tight. And so I think this is more speculation than a true real sell-off uh, in oil. So this would not be a time. This is not be this is not would be a trade I wouldn't make. I would not make this trade out of oil at this time and into commercial uh, banks in general. Um, even though Comerica, I like it better than most of the, the banks that are out there, um, would not be a trade I'm making at the current time. Thanks for the call. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. We have one goal here, help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this final break. So if you have questions, get them in now at 888-99-CHART. Christmas will be here soon, and then comes New Year's. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley are ready to answer your finance and investment questions. Call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. Hey, Steve and Justin. This is uh, Pete from Staten Island, New York. Long-time listener. I'm uh, 23 years old. I actually started listening to you guys when I was delivering pizzas. I was saving up a little bit of money and listening to you guys learning about the financial world as a pizza delivery boy. I've now graduated and I've grown up and I have a question about Con Edison. I think the ticker is ED. I currently work for them and they have a stock option plan where they match one share for every nine shares I buy. And I think they match the dividend percentage as well. So I was just getting, I was a little curious about what you guys thought of the company, thought about the financials and um, really how conservatively or aggressively 
I should be investing in this program and really just overall the financial of the company and what you guys thought. Thanks. And I look forward to hearing the answer on the show. All right. Well, glad you've graduated from delivering pizzas to working for a large corporation like Consolidated Edison and $33 billion market cap. They, uh, they provide electricity, gas, and uh, steam utility services in New York, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania. 3.3% dividend yield. Uh, it's, a, it's a good business, consistent business. If they're matching your contribution, then I would, I would go for it, especially if they're matching the dividend as well. So maybe that dividend's being doubled now, 3.3 to 6.6. That would be nice as well. So uh, I would take advantage of it. What you want to do is make sure you're limiting your exposure to the business overall. Not to say that, that Consolidated Edison is like Enron, but remember Enron was in the utility space and they had bad management and uh, there were problems and the company blew up on bankrupt. Not to say that could happen. that's going to happen with that Con Edison, but anything is possible. So you want to limit that to 10% of your total net worth. So uh, up to that, I would say go for investing in the share. Thanks for the call. Now let's touch a bit on the Fed rate hike from last week and the market's reaction to that. Well, while the Fed wants you to believe it will raise rates and it will peak over 5% and then it will hold them there until at least the end of next year, the market isn't buying. In fact, the market is saying, "Uh uh-uh. You're going to start to cut by the end of next year. And in fact, the market is pricing in the, in, that interest rates will drop by almost two percentage points by the end of 2024. And that rates will peak the summer, meaning, hey, they're going to start cutting around the summertime. Now, there are two ways that could be correct. One is great and the other not so great. Now, the first is that inflation goes away by itself and there's maybe a mild recession, but nothing too big to worry about. And that would be positive for the markets as a whole. The bad way would be, hey, there's delayed effect for rapid tightening. We have a deep recession. Inflation reverses rapidly and the Fed is forced to cut. Bond prices go up, and stocks would probably go down more. The question is, what camp is true? Now, investors think inflation will go away by itself, and that a deep recession will be avoided. And you can see that by the fact that junk bonds aren't requiring a whole, requiring a whole lot of extra yield over the past couple of months, meaning Yield spreads are not blowing out, which typically happens in a recession. Now, part of that is because companies have refinanced at very low rates. Prices in the economy in general are higher, and they're going to be able to service that debt. So that's the signal that's telling you inflation will peak, and it'll be a mild recession, everything will be fine, and we'll move on. That's really what the market's signaling so far. That doesn't mean that it can't go the other way. Now, the 2 percentage point drop would be the first time since 84, 86 time frame 
when there was that big of a drop in interest rates and only a soft landing, right? Or a soft landing in general, meaning not a recession. So market's kind of talking on the two sides of its mouth. It'll be very interesting to see how it ends up uh, because inflation is rapidly coming down. And maybe by the end of the first quarter, it's clear that we're out of the woods when it comes to inflation and they pause and maybe start cutting. Even with the you know economy in a mild recession, I think that would be overall the soft landing bullish scenario. And I still think that's a possibility, but you have to be opened to any outcome. Now, my, I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening, and we encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which you can find anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And be sure to rate and review. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein is chief executive officer of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial.